Coming up on today's Locked on Bucks, we recap. Do we have to? Yes, but we recap what happened in Detroit. It was a win, but not a very inspiring win, so we'll see what goes differently, hopefully, for the Bucks tonight. Also, uh, we'll get into some of the chatter that continues to pop up, notably from Chris Haynes and Mark Stein. We'll get into that and what uh, these next few weeks could look like for the Bucks. Camille and I have the latest after this on Locked on Bucks. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Bucks. I am Justin Garcia. You can hear me on the Bucks Radio Network. She's Camille Davis. In addition to this show, you can hear her on the Technical File podcast and a uh, tough subject, but also the Carry the G in MKE podcast. We both thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen each and every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Viewable on YouTube as well, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's Locked On Bucks is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NBA. It's linkedin.com slash locked on NBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. Um, it is locked on bucks, but I, I would assume the Venn diagram of bucks fans and Packers fans overlaps quite a bit. I kind of cut you off there, Camille, but look, at least we're used to disappointment in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And just, we won't stay on the Packers too long because there's, far more uh, things to talk about here around the Bucks, but disappointing. I mean, we didn't expect to be in the playoffs this season, but when you're in a game and you look like you can win it and then you lose it, that's what's so disappointing about it. Very, very frustrating uh, game, yeah. but frustration seems to be the popular word here uh, around <laughs> our sports team. So speaking of frustrating Saturday in Detroit, it's set up for a great day. The last time we had the Bucks. And the Packers on the same day, it was a magical day with Jordan Love and that performance against the Cowboys. You had the Dame Lillard buzzer beater against the Kings, and you thought, what could go wrong here? You did win the game, but it was one of those wins where I think at the time you leave thinking, oh, man, this kind of feels like a loss versus a win. Now, there are some interesting numbers to get into coming out of that, but as, as we mentioned leading into this weekend, potential for – two get-right games against a, all due respect, very bad Pistons team, and you got the win, but in terms of the optics, you did not see what you were looking for on Saturday. Absolutely not. It, it was a game where you only held the Pistons to only 30 points in one quarter, and the one quarter you held them to under 30 points, they scored 29. Uh, there was no Kate Cunningham in this game, which, as we know, he is the engine that makes the Pistons go, best player on that team. And without him, they were still able to put up 135 points on the Milwaukee Bucks, who were fully healthy in this game. Everybody who you would think would play for the Bucks suited up, uh, and they still gave up 135 points, which it's it's not good. That is that is not good. So I definitely understand why people up this game just feeling kind of icky. Like we won, yeah, but we didn't win in a way that gives me too much hope or too much faith in what I'm seeing with this team. And when you're looking at the numbers, like 
I understand that feeling. But one thing I did look at was the outlier of the game where you have the Pistons coming in and they make 21 threes season high for them. The Pistons have not been a great three point shooting team so far this season. We talked about it, Justin, on the Friday episode of Locked On Bucks about how they're not great there. We know they just made the trade to bring in Gallinari um, and Muscala, who career wise, they have been known as three point shooters and they haven't been shooting the ball too well so far this season. I probably am the reason why the two of them went combined, I believe, five for five uh, from three in this game because I talked about how they weren't shooting well ahead of it. They, uh, The Pistons attempt the second fewest threes per game in the league at just over 30. They make the second fewest at just under 11. Um, they, they weren't too far off their attempts, and I think that's where the whole outlier thing comes into play. They attempted 37, and they made 21. Uh, they had 10 makes in the first half and this wasn't like just one hot quarter. This was right. a quarter by quarter that you, you thought, okay, that's going to tail off the first quarter. They were six of nine. You thought, all right, th- this is the Pistons. They're already beyond halfway towards their average for makes in a game. This won't last second quarter, four of eight. So 50% there third quarter, five of nine and the fourth quarter, six of 11. So You saw where they sat at halftime when it was close to 60% shooting, already made 10 threes, and you thought, all right, second half is going to look a lot different. It did not. And you mentioned some of those names of Mike Muscala and Danilo Gallinari, five for five. Alec Burks knocked down seven of them. Boyan Bogdanovich with um, three of them. So it was basically all across the floor that we saw this. And I've seen a few people point to – the outlier in that, well, I mean, the way the Pistons shot the ball, the percentage of threes, the number of teams that we've seen shoot at that level um, in recent years is very, very slim. And it's been very, very good teams that have done that. I think any year other than this, you would have a more receptive audience of Bucks fans saying, yeah, it's just an outlier game. It's not going to happen again. But with the struggles that we've seen from this defense and, and how much time it has taken to iron things out. I think that's what has has caused a lot of fans to raise an eyebrow and say, look, I know the numbers tell me this was an outlier shooting performance, but I'm not convinced it was an outlier performance. Yeah. You named some of the guys who were making threes for the Pistons and you happened to leave off Oscar Thompson, who has Mm -hmm. averaged 13% from three. And was what I think nine of 69 or six of 69 coming into the game just poor and he makes two of two to the point where he has he's on the the three-point line and guys are closing out and they're biting on pump fakes so then he's able to just drive to the basket and score that way so to your point about like yes we look at the numbers and see that it's an outlier game but look at the Bucks defense and what they've given you so far this season and you're just like this doesn't make me feel good because they haven't shown me too much and we were talking earlier before we recorded uh, just about the Bucks play over the first half of the season. And I know you're the big numbers guy, and I tend to kind of look at them just to see if it's matching what I thought that I was seeing. And I've mentioned I like breaking up the numbers in a lot of different ways, but now that we're past the half point in the season, uh, I'm looking at the first two quarters of the season for the Bucks. So if we're at halftime of the season, uh, the numbers aren't looking great. Like over the first quarter of the season for the Bucks, defensively, they were 21st in defensive rating and now they're 22nd uh, through the second half of it, the second quarter of it points in the paint. They've allowed more in the second half in that second quarter than they did in the first. Uh, the turnover percentage has gone down from the first quarter and it was already low in the first quarter. They averaged about 19 or 12.9% turnover rate. 
which was good for 27th in the league in the second quarter of the season here. That's down to 10%, which is good for last in the league. Um, and you look at just offensive rebounding percentage, how much they're eight, how many rebounds their opponents are getting. That's been about the same, and it's middle of the pack for them. Uh, they've been allowing more free throws from their opponents in the second quarter of the season. So just defensively, it just hasn't been good enough for this team so far. And when you see a performance like that against the Pistons, which kicks off the third quarter of the season for the team, it no, it doesn't feel good because you're looking at the numbers and you're like, this is more of what we've been seeing. Like these, you're allowing too many points. Um, you're giving up too much and you're not forcing enough turnovers um, at this rate either. The other thing too is um, I was going to try and as you were laying that out on a quarterly view, say, well, I mean, this is kind of matching up with what we see within games too, that the Bucks really <laughs> struggled for whatever reason early in the year. It was in the first quarter, but it's kind of transitioned now to later in the games. They've been better in the second half, but for the longest time, we would point to not only their clutch numbers, but the fourth quarter in that they were pretty good defensively and net rating, all of those numbers in the fourth quarter, their best when it matters most. Now, they're still in the top five in net rating in that fourth mm -hmm. quarter, but that's on the strength of their offense, that it's just been pulverizing teams at a 126 rating in that uh, quarter. They've dropped into the 20s in all quarters defensively. So what you're seeing is pretty much what you get with this team, that it's not just, yeah, but they've gotten better here or there. They have kind of consistently leveled off in a bad way to what you're seeing now for those numbers of defensively in the bottom 10, which, as, yep. as we've mentioned, is not going to be good enough. And look, I, I think Adrian Griffin, everybody on staff, all the players in the locker room, they recognize that and they're aware of that as well. But that is the biggest area that, that needs to jump forward for this team because even those numbers since you know November 3rd that we would point to as gospel for large portions of this season, those there's, there's, I mean, there's a, a small difference, but even that has leveled off where it's no longer. Yeah. I know they're 20th overall, but if you look at since they put Brooke back there, it's closer to 13th or, you know, at least in the top half. And now that number is closer to what you see at the season average. Yeah, it's, it's just not been good enough. And I think the best word to describe the defense is it's uninspiring. Like it just, especially given the fact that we've gotten so used to the Bucks having a certain level of defense under the Bud years, the five years with Bud. And with that even being said, I don't expect this team to be, you know, a top third in the league defensive team. Like I don't think that's a formula they need to do to be successful, but I do know being bottom third is not also a formula to be successful. The Bucks have to, at the very worst, be middle of the pack defensively when it comes to looking at all these numbers and how they play. And then of course, in the fourth quarter in the clutch, you want to see that get even better. So they got the clutch part down for the most part, but overall we have to have a, a better effort from this team throughout the game going forward. And hopefully this season plays out how their games have where the second half is a bit stronger for them because the first half, again, has been uninspiring, especially defensively. Well, it to, to get back to that Pistons game, I want to get into a little bit of it after the break because there were some interesting things that uh, Adrian Griffin had to say after the game about their defense and, and where he felt they ran into some of those issues. So we'll get into that conversation as well as everything else that has uh, been out there in the last couple of days as this is the time. We're now almost two weeks away from uh, the trade deadline. So we'll get into all of that chatter coming up after this on the show. 
Well, at the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? Not unlike what John Horst is undoubtedly asking himself right now. LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many qualified candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully, with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Camille, we should remind everybody as well that in addition to this show, Locked On Bucks, you can find even more quality content uh, out there through Locked On with the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today, it's here for you 24-7, covering the top stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus national shows that cover every league. Just go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Adrian Griffin after that game against the Pistons. I mentioned some interesting comments that he had. And, you know, it, it's and this is not a knock on Griff, but I think we've kind of reached the point where we know what the issues are. We know what to look for with this team that you can almost kind of predict what he's going to say and, and what he's going to focus on in the postgame. And that was the case for me. However, I was most struck by his assessment of the defense overall in that um, his, his quote was, our, our starters tried to compete. We got some stops in the fourth quarter, and I felt like we were pretty mindful of and executed the game plan. I heard guys were talking out there and communicating, and the effort was there. We made some big-time defensive stops in the fourth quarter, which is true. Um, give the Pistons credit. They played a tough game, but for the most part, our starters really competed defensively. <laughs> our issues came when we had to play smaller against the second unit. And, you know, it 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 could be easy to brush that off. And I, I think there is some truth to that because when we mention all those players with the, the Pistons that, that went off, seven threes from Alec Burks, Mike Muscala, four of four, uh, a sore Thompson making two three pointers. Those are all bench players, and there was a couple of moments in the game too when Pistons were going smaller, and uh, Bogdanovich was playing the five essentially for them. And you saw sequences of Brook Lopez having to defend him on the perimeter, and Bogdanovich saying, "Hey, this, I'm I'm just going to shoot here." So there is a little bit of credence to what Adrian Griffin said there. Of look, if I just look at this by the numbers. Sure, their bench was the most impactful. And I think that's the, the big thing with this, this Bucks team is it was another game where the bench 
didn't blow you away in terms of production, 18 points. The Pistons bench scored 85 points in this game. And look, we don't expect the Bucs to be pushing other teams in terms of the top scoring bench units in the league. That just hasn't been the model for going on a decade now. But the way that this is constructed is, look, we we got Giannis and Chris and Dame and Brooke and even Malik. We're going to get scoring there. What we need from our bench is defense, and we need to hand you the lead and not give that up. And that's the issue that I think we've seen quite a bit so far this season. We have. And it was interesting seeing the rotation in that way, right? Because we've had conversations about when Jay Crowder comes back, where do his minutes come from? And I was like, maybe they come from the starters a bit. Maybe you see them playing a minute or two less than what you normally seen, um, which, you know, if every starter played two minutes less, that gives you 10 minutes right there to give a Jay Crowder and you can alternate. You can figure out what you're going to do with the rest of the bench there. Um, and in this game, Bobby played 17 minutes uh, and Jay played 14. So this is one of the lowest minute totals that we've seen from Bobby um, throughout the season so far. He had a game where he played 16 in the month of January uh, so far. So it's been kind of up and down there for him. But like you said, you look at the numbers and everyone on the Bucks bench finished with a negative plus minus, right? Led by Pat Connaughton, who was a minus 18. And you flip that to the Detroit bench. And they were all in the positive while all their starters were in the negative. Meanwhile, all of the Bucks starters were in the positive with the lowest one being Chris Middleton. And he spent a lot of his time on the court with those bench units trying to be the starter to help man them a bit. So, yeah, they definitely need more there. And the more is necessarily scoring alone because the Bucks are top heavy. That's the truth of it. And that's where most of their points are going to come from. And to your point about what you need from your bench, you need them to be able to get in the game and not squander the lead. You need your bench to be able to provide you some different looks to throw at the opposing team as well. And at this point, we are halfway through the season. This is a big enough sample size to start saying, hey, I'm not sure if this combination is working exactly. And we talked about the bigger numbers here. And that is why it's no surprise to me that we're hearing these reports coming out about John Horst being so aggressive here, coming up to this trade deadline, looking for defensive help, uh, because that's what this team needs more than anything. And when you look at your bench, there, there's not much there where you can lean on and say, hey, I know you can help us defensively outside of what we've seen from Andre Jackson Jr. And that is still even with the learning curve of him being a young guy who's following a lot, getting these rookie files, has to learn through all of that as well. He's not a perfect player, but uh, he's young and we haven't gotten enough from our vets. Although Jay just came back, we'll see how that changes things. But uh, so far, the rotation has been really Bobby and, and Pat as those vets you lean on the bench and it hasn't been good enough so far. Uh, the it has not and you know when we talk about where this um where this team is at right now when you look at the the schedule and again it's not to to sound like a broken record here but how difficult it's going to get yep especially that last month of the season I, I keep coming back to this stretch right now is is very big for the bucks because you don't want to lose the rope here and we'll get into the the trade chatter and some of the reports from Chris Haynes in just a moment here. But as we sit right now, I kind of mentioned those tiers. The Bucks are four, uh, three and a half back of the Celtics, three back in the loss column. But you're tied in the loss column with the 76ers. You're only two in front of the Cavaliers, who that makes these upcoming two yes. games especially huge. You're only four in front of the Knicks, who we already saw make a move. And there's talk maybe the Knicks are the landing spot for Bruce Brown. 
you're six in front of the Miami Heat, which is a, a relatively comfortable amount, but it's still the Miami Heat that concerns you. And that's that same um, that same distance between you and the Indiana Pacers, who I would expect to be much better in the second half of the season once they get more time to uh, acclimate Pascal Siakam. So this is a big stretch that the Bucs are in right now because it went from the Bucs and the Celtics and the Sixers and then a drop-off to moving further and further towards the Celtics and then a drop-off, but there's not that second drop-off or it's not as steep as we're seeing from the Bucs and the Sixers to those other teams. And you just don't want to put yourself in a spot where you head into March and you got to win a lot of games because you have to hold off a number of teams that are around you in those standings with how difficult that schedule is going to be. Even if the Bucs have moved in a better direction and figured things out defensively, have, have really started to gel and that chemistry is there, that is still an incredibly difficult schedule that you have in those last, what, four weeks, basically, of the season that you don't want to be putting yourself into that spot of, man, every game is, is virtually a must win. You have uh, the Clippers coming to town. You have the Lakers on the road, the Clippers on the road, two games with the Clippers, uh, the Kings who are going to be looking for some revenge. I believe there's two games with the Sixers in March. So it's, it's a very, and another one with the Celtics, very, very difficult. And it comes back to what you have right now. We mentioned those two games against the Cavaliers and how big those are going to potentially loom with how Cleveland is playing and that difference. Um, but this schedule in the immediate future for the Bucs, if you look at the last 15 games, the number one team in terms of defense and net rating in the league is the Cavaliers. Yep. You got two games with them. Um, number three in net rating is the Pelicans, who you play later this week. The Jazz, you just played. They're number six. The Nuggets, you play in, what, a week. They're number seven. You got the Timberwolves in just over a week. They're number nine. So this is a stretch that you don't want to overlook either when we keep talking about March. Right now is potentially huge for the Bucs. It truly is. I mean, just take you mentioned this week's schedule. We have Detroit tonight. You have the two games against Cleveland, and then you end the week against New Orleans. And then you head west. Right. Mm -hmm. So after these next three home games that they have, after they finish this road game in Detroit, Cleveland at home, Cleveland at home, New Orleans at home. Then you go on the road and you're playing five straight road games against Denver, Portland, Dallas, Utah, and Phoenix. And then you come home to see Minnesota. Dallas, who Charlie. already handled you, and as we mentioned, is playing much better. Phoenix, yeah. for all the chatter about them, they are headed in the right direction of late. Look at Grayson Allen flirting with the, the 50, uh, 90, 40 season. Like, look, look at look at the former shooting guard of the Bucks doing this thing. But no, it's a it's a tough road for the Bucks. And looking at the standings, we mentioned the Heat, and it should also be mentioned that they have been dealing with a lot of of injuries. Yeah. So for the Miami Heat to still be sixth in the conference with all of the injuries that they've been facing, like that doesn't bode well either for any other team in the conference. Like, hey, they're still six, top six in the conference with all of these different injuries. Like the Bucs have to get it together and they have to get it together quickly defensively. Now, we haven't mentioned much about the offense because I think everybody can look at that and say like, well, at least that's moving. Like that's working well. And that is true, which is why heading into the trade deadline, it makes it's no surprise that what John horse is looking for, for this team is primarily defensive help on the wing. Like that's what this team needs. And coming up to this stretch, like even looking to what they have before the all-star break, you're just like, 
it's going to be a week because uh, after the deadline, February 8th is the deadline and you play Minnesota that night. You follow that up with Charlotte the very next night. So a back to back. And then you finish out before the break with Denver, Miami and Memphis. And we know Memphis had their injury concerns as well, but these young dudes that they've been throwing out there, they're doing what they can. Like it's not a game you want to overlook, but uh, it's ironic that the last game before the break is a game against Memphis, which you saw during the year where we acquired you holiday. That last game against Memphis was a big swing point for the Bucks. So you hope that they're able to finish strong heading into the break um, that they're able to do something at this point. It's a, it's a big stretch for this team. And uh, there's a lot that, that you need to, to see improve, obviously, how much of that is just internal versus how much of it is we need to make some moves. We'll get into that uh, coming up here because, again, a lot of chatter going on, as you would expect, as we're about two and a half weeks away from the trade deadline. Um, but chatter from some very well-sourced insiders, especially with this Bucks team that are reporting some things, some interesting uh, names that have popped up in these last couple of days. Camille and I will uh, get into that coming up after the break. Today's Locked On Bucks is brought to you by BetterHelp. And uh, look, we've reached that uh, time of the year, or, or past it, I should say, where everybody is dealing with something. The holidays can be very stressful for anyone, but it's not the only time of year that can bring its stress. This is also a part of the year where we set our New Year's resolutions and look to improve ourselves. But what if you're already thriving in one specific area and you want to find more ways to build that? That's where BetterHelp can help you or someone else in your life in 2024. As I mentioned, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of maybe just expanding on what it is we're already doing right. And maybe you finally organize one part of your space and you want to tackle another one or you're taking supplements every morning and now you want to actually find your nutrition as well. Therapy can help you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It is designed to be convenient and flexible and most importantly, it is suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So celebrate the progress you have already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash locked on NBA. And the NFL season is wrapping up. It unfortunately wrapped up for our team, but there is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel. They are America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. It's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. FanDuel's app is easy to use, and it offers a wide variety of ways to make a bet. Things like same-game parlays, live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the Explore tab, and you can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. It's the best way to find popular parlays. 
Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So those names, uh, Camille, I think the big one that it surfaced, what, over the weekend or late last week was the first time we saw mention of this, but uh, DeJounte Murray's name has been out there for a couple of weeks now with things clearly not working. I think that's safe to say in Atlanta, they are currently occupying the 10 spot, uh, but it's it's basically going to come down to the Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets for that final playing spot, it seems like. Still, uh, 10th or in the play-in tournament period is not where the Hawks anticipated to be, especially in this being the first full year of Quinn Snyder, still having a lot of the same issues and below 500. So it's it's only natural that that's a team that would pop up with, well, look for them to make some moves. DeJounte Murray's a guy they gave up a lot to get and paid as well. And now his name is popping up. And as we heard from Chris Haynes, who again is pretty well connected with the Bucks, I think we'll leave it at that. <laughs> the Bucks are one of those names that has checked in on the availability of DeJounte Murray. So DeJounte Murray, let's just say this advances. And, it, and again, as Chris Haynes said, it hasn't gotten to that point yet. It's more of, John Horst saying, hey, you guys are floating him out. What are you looking for? But let's just say something were to come together. What is your idea on the fit for DeJounte Murray with this team? Now, the idea of DeJounte Murray sounds great, right? Because you think of him when he was with the Spurs and the defense that he was able to bring. And we know that he can fill it up offensively as well. So to be able to have a two-way guy is super appealing because – at this point, you wouldn't need him to be a lead a guard here because you're next to Dame, and he's been playing next to Trey Young. It's been kind of like a duo between the two of them, really carrying the offensive load. He comes here offensively. He's behind Giannis. He's behind Dame, and then he's going to get his where he gets his at that point uh, because you also have Chris to deal with here as well, um, and I would think that he fits in somewhere around there. There are some people I know who would say he's immediately the third option. Chris moves to the fourth, however they feel about Chris, but offensively of course he gives you a lot now what we've seen from DeJounte so far uh this season in particular with the Hawks defensively hasn't been great and I'm not sure if that is and let me phrase that by saying hasn't been great for his standards uh because when you compare it to what we've we got take from, it, yeah. right when you compare it like it's still better than what we've seen here in Milwaukee uh but the defense has definitely fallen a bit from where you saw him uh, previously before but I mean, he's a great fit and he's a younger guy. The contract isn't unreasonable at this point for him either. So like that's appealing. But I mean, I've heard the Lakers have been one of the front runners for him at this point. So it's going to come down to if the Bucks can outbid other teams for him. And we know the Bucks don't have the assets in the regards to draft capital to be able to pull off something like that without the help of another team, because apparently the Hawks are looking for two first round picks uh, for DeJounte, which as we know, the Bucks don't have to trade out at this point, so they would need some help. But the reports I saw said that apparently the Hawks do like the players that the Bucks could offer in a trade for DeJounte, maybe more than what some other teams could offer. So that just made me go like, huh, is that a, is that a Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton type of deal where you add on some additional salary there to kind of make that work for the Bucks, Or who are the names being thrown out there? Is there another young sweetener that's thrown in there as well? I'm not sure, but... Uh, the fit, of course, like DeJounte Murray fits with the Bucks, and he would be the best point of attack defender on this team immediately upon coming here. He's um, 
he's making just over 17 million this year, I believe. But um, there's some incentives that you have to factor in as we've learned the hard way in recent years that I believe would take his cap number up to close to 19 million. So, you know, those names that continue to be surfaced for the bucks, um, you would have to, both of them, you would figure would need to be attached in terms of where your contract structure is. And I'm not sure who the players, the Hawks have fancied would be on this roster. I have a hard time believing for where they currently sit and, and probably recognizing if they trade, DeJounte Murray, who they gave up a number of uh, draft picks for and a deal that, you know, especially if they move him now, could end up being worse than the Rudy Gobert, Gobert trade for how much we talked about that a season ago. Um, but I would imagine veteran players that are are pushing 30 and already making a decent amount of money. I got to believe those aren't the players that they've, they've said they're keen on within this system. So you would obviously need, obviously need that to uh, match the salaries, but then it, it would be, have to be a multi, multi-player deal to involve somebody like DeJounte Murray, which I'm with you. In theory, it makes sense because of what he would bring. And again, he can score, especially in the mid-range, which is a spot other than Chris Middleton. The Bucks don't really have that. Bobby Portis, I suppose. Um, but you could easily say, okay, we we just need you to play defense. And I think the easier sell is that uh, he signed that contract. And it's not just he's coming into, man, I, I got to put up my numbers and get paid here. But it's still a conversation to have of, hey, you know what? By the way, your numbers are going to drop off offensively just because we need you to play defense. And that can be a tough uh, situation to to kind of maneuver around if you're the Bucks. But uh, this one to me on paper, sure, absolutely makes a ton of sense. I just don't see, even with that that uh, addition to the report, if there's some pieces on the Bucks they like, I just have a hard time seeing this come to fruition. And I'll, I'll, I'll preface by saying – I've said that about a number of moves that John Horst <laughs> has ultimately made, but this one to me just seems like you maybe have to set your expectations a notch or two lower than, than yeah. DeJounte Murray. I would agree with that. Like you said, we've seen Horst do some magic. Like I didn't know two DJs could equal a PJ. Um, so I, we didn't expect to get, I didn't expect to see Dame here and we were able to pull that off as well. But uh, so I will never discredit or, count out what Horace can do at the deadline. But the question is who else is in the running for this player and can they offer a package that is better than what the Bucks can offer? So I think that could be a tough sell for Murray. And then when you mentioned the fact of what his role will be, that's also something to think about as well, because it wouldn't be as expansive here in Milwaukee as it was in my, in uh, Atlanta. But we've got a guy like my Thibault who that's, for me, the names that we've been hearing about who's possibly available for the Bucks, like that's a name for me that I'm like, this is somebody where I'm like, I would love to be able to get Thibault on this team um, in large part because he's only making, I believe, like $10 million this yeah. season um, in the up, few upcoming years. He has a player option, I believe, at the end of his contract as well. But the contract isn't super unreasonable for him um, and the skill that he's going to be able to bring defensively to this team now. I know we're wrapping up, so – just to throw out some other names, and I'm curious to know which of the names that we've been hearing floating around the team you would be most interested in because, of course, we mentioned Murray, mentioned Thibault. There's also Bruce Brown, Dorian Finney-Smith, Alex Caruso, 
those types of names. So like of the names we've heard floating about for the Bucks, for you, Justin, which is the one where you're like, this is the one I would love to find a way for the Bucks to to get. Um, I mean, for me, the number one would be Alex Caruso, but I I just it's similar to yeah. well to a lesser extent the the uh, Dejounte Murray discussion because the contract is is much less significant, but you also have to wonder well. Do the Bulls have motivation to move now that they've played much better? And and is this going to be, let's just keep it together and see if we can win in the play-in. And I would assume there's a much larger market for Alex Caruso, given that contract. Uh, He would be number one. I just don't know that it's attainable. I would then move on to a player like Dorian Finney-Smith because I, I think that's the biggest need that, he can match up with a lot of those perimeter players. You can play him at the four at times as well and and get that lineup versatility out there when you play Giannis at the five and even go to an all-switching lineup too. If you had him and Jay Crowder and Giannis and, and Chris Middleton on the floor with a Dame Lillard. So uh, to me, given that and the other interesting part, I, I forget where I saw it. It may have been Mark Stein, but you know when speaking about names like Adorian Finney-Smith and others, uh, play in that same role it may be um i don't know if i'd say easier but it may take a little less to attain them than you or obtain them than you would have originally thought because there seems to be more wing players available now which just kind of goes against the way we've seen this game played that that's those are the guys that you want but it seems like there's more of them on the market with a uh, finney smith and tybel and alice caruso and potentially Dejounte murray and others that there it may be a, a simple supply and demand where there's more wing guys out there than you know teams that are looking to acquire them competing teams i should say yeah it could be it could be and again at this point i'm like i the bugs need some help at the point of attack uh, defensively so i'd be happy with all the names that we've talked about here so far finding their way to the bucks and for me to, just to wrap up like a reason that thigh ball is one of the names that like stands out to me is one age um he's in his mid 20s still and he's improved as a three-point shooter from what we saw in his first couple of years in Philly, where I was like, I don't know if this kid's going to be able to have that three and D name uh, because where is the, the the three in the game? But he's gotten that up to a more respectable level so far this season. And the age part of it is, is appealing to me as well, as long as well with the contract, having him for the next couple of years uh, for sure makes me feel good about it. But all in all, like the Bucks, I think have to do something at the trade deadline, and I don't think that something is going to be like, I don't know, like for like an offensive player of some sort. Like it's going to be defense for sure, and if it's anything else, then I'm not interested. So you're not in the well, you know. Let's just double down on our strengths, and we'll be no. we'll no. be the team that's going to score 150 points every single night. No, no, I uh, I would agree with you there. Um, and look, tonight is a big step forward, hopefully, and we see that defense. Hopefully proving, hey, Saturday, it really was an outlier game. It was a lot of bench-related issues, and we cleaned all that up. But uh, that's the hope in what we'll see tonight. We'll be back with the post-game show tonight and then uh, preview a pair of big games against the Cleveland Cavaliers a little bit later in the week. By the time we get to the midpoint of the week, we're already two weeks out from the trade deadline, so I'd imagine there will be even more chatter picking up then. We will uh, certainly dive into the latest there as well. For Camille, I am Justin. We'll talk to you later tonight with the post game show.